Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's Wednesday, November 5th, which means we're just nine days now from the start of the season. Going to be uh, here before you know it. This, of course, is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, which is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio for a free trial on 10% off. Go to Squarespace.com slash CBS Sports and use the offer code, offer code FUN. Matt Norlander is here as usual. Also join us today uh, from his home in Los Angeles as the newest and the youngest member of the college basketball team at CBSSports.com, Sam Vecini. Sam, welcome. Thanks, GP. How's it going? It's uh, all right, but I just realized it is, um, it, though it is 917 where I live, and it is 1017 where Matt Norlander lives. It is 717 where you live on the West Coast. So, uh, A, I appreciate you uh, being awake, and B, I hope you don't fall asleep. Um, you know, I got my coffee here. Uh, I think I'm, think I'm going to try and wake up as the podcast goes. All right. Well, perfect. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, well, listen, let's just get right into it. The big news in the sport uh, right now is the news coming out of Indiana. Devin Davis, uh, sophomore, is hospitalized after uh, being hit by a car uh, driven by Emmett Holt. Troy Williams and Stanford Robinson both suspended for failed drug tests. That means six Indiana players have been involved in some sort of off-the-court, headline-grabbing incident since February, um, all of which were either alcohol or drug-related. Tom Crean is obviously under fire. I wrote a column about it yesterday. Greg Doyle, um, our old colleague who is now at the Indianapolis Star, actually called for Tom Crean's uh, job. But what do you make of all this, Norlander? Well, um, I make of it that it's uh, usually a good thing when a blue blood in college hoops uh, has some drama surrounding it. Oh, God, we have three right now. Syracuse, North Carolina. I know. And And we really have had – I mean, when you look at those and – you know, UCLA, Duke, you know, obviously North Carolina, Kentucky. There's always one of these schools almost always at any point in the year is uh, is giving us stuff. And now Indiana's up again. Um, I'm not of the belief that Tom Crean should be fired within the next four months personally. Um, if he does, if they don't make the tournament, he's going to be gone. I think that's almost without question. Even with this hefty buyout, they're going to get the money because at that point he'll have had – uh, you know, four out of the six years will have been a letdown. Two of those years, understandably, were rebuilds after Kelvin Sampson left. But regardless, um, you, unless they have a magnificent year in the Big Ten this year, they're still going to probably be a sub-500 Big Ten team under Crean. As for the behavior of the kids, this is all coming together at, if not the worst time, one of the worst times. I mean, the only real worst time this could all happen is if it was mid-season and then it was January and Indiana was two games under 500. Then it's then that's the worst time you could possibly imagine it. But um, you know, an unfortunate accident where a teammate accidentally struck another teammate. They had both been drinking. They weren't legally drunk at that point. Let's be but, clear. Let's be clear what happened here. A a and I I don't know that he's been described as legally drunk. Devin Davis. Right. Um, but no, he said the cop said he was not legally drunk in the statement. I was told he was. I, okay, look, I don't know what legally is, right? Okay, but um, he he had been drinking. He was yes. into, he was intoxicated, and um, I you know he he was he he was a, a a dumb person doing a dumb thing. I mean, he this isn't one of those deals. Like I hit a pedestrian one time. We don't have to get yeah, into this we story. Have, I, uh, but we have but, talked. To, Sam might not. We have talked about this on right. the podcast two or three times. But yes. Gary Parrish once hit someone in Memphis. Right. It, now, it was a drunk person who ran out in front of me. Now, I was on I – w- I was actually – Rick Ross would be proud of this. I was actually on Elvis Presley Boulevard, and <laughs> and um, that's true. I swear to God. I hit a pedestrian on Elvis Presley Boulevard, and um, you know, I was going like 45, 50 miles per hour, and a pedestrian ran out of me. He was drunk. He was carrying a quart of beer and ran out in front of me, and I, I, I just – there was nothing I could do. I, I don't know that this is similar, but it is similar in this respect, I'm told. Um, there was nothing Emmett Holt could do. Like, you know, Devin Davis ran out in front of a moving car while he was, I don't want to, after he had been drinking at, to some degree. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's a sad situation. And God, we hope it, you know, we, he recovers um, fully. Yes. But, but this is, if we're, if we're assigning blame, it's more his fault than the, than the driver's fault. Yeah, no, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, that almost feels like a, freak accident in nature and i don't really pin any sort of blame on tom crean to that in terms of failed drug tests this happens across college basketball with i mean come on chris walker in florida right now i yeah 100 uh dozens of programs 
are are dozens of programs seeing situations where six or seven guys on scholarship are getting into alcohol or drug related problems over a six month span? No, I guess not. Um, I don't blame it all on Crean to be honest. And if he's able to win, if he's able to get to the tournament this year, we'll see if that's good enough to save his job. I understand the criticisms against him. It doesn't help that Tom Crean is just generally not one of the more or most well-liked coaches. I think that just has something to do with it personally. Um, but we've got, you know, some upheaval in Bloomington. A lot of the fans wanted Crean gone last year. We knew that wasn't going to happen, but this has been building uh, considering, you know, the talent he has brought in and didn't win with and the talent now he's kind of failed to build in Bloomington. Uh, obviously, that fan base is really one of the most prideful and personally to me outside of Kentucky, Kentucky is the only one that supersedes Indiana fan in terms of just overall um, craziness and, <laughs> and, and ready to fight you. Um, and that's fine. Like, you know, the programs are in that they've got plenty of national titles and I, and I get that they feel they should be at the top of the big 10 every year. Um, but as we are right now, and I know GP, you can kind of wax more on this cause you wrote the column and you've been, talking to coaches and sources on this. I mean, right now it's, it's sort of a is what it is situation. We've got a, a week and a half before the game start. And once that happens, we'll have, you know, actual games to base, you know, Crean's March toward, uh, you know, job termination or not. Uh, Sam, let me ask you this. And then we'll get into the column in a minute, because I do want to talk about that and, and a very specific aspect of it. But Okay, so again, the numbers look bad. And and once they start to pile up like this, folks keep count, right? So um, now everybody can quote six in 10 months. And if there's another one tomorrow, it'll be, uh, you know, or or another one next month, it'll be seven in in 11 months. You know, people keep track of these things once they become, you know, it's a little bit like a coach's record against the top 25. If it ever runs to like 0 and 8, then everybody knows that 0 and 8. And then the next one is going to be 0 and 9. Mm -hmm. And so the, the records, the numbers start to pile up on you. If you take these incidents individually, they're not, none of them are that big of a deal while, while recognizing that there's a kid lying in a hospital right now. Like, I get that. It's a big deal in that it turned into a horrible accident. But it was just a horrible accident. Um, ultimately, all we have here at Indiana are players who are either drinking underage or um, using illegal drugs while in college. Now, I don't want to speak for you guys. Um, I never, I've never failed a drug test. I have never been, <laughs> I have never been drinking and run over um, a friend or anybody. Um, I've run over a person, but I was not drinking at the time. Um, but I can't sit here and tell you I didn't drink underage or, you know, uh, uh, use an illegal drug or three while I was in college. Like I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite. So, um, I, I, I don't think that Yogi Farrell has done anything I didn't do when I was his age or, um, you know, so on and so forth. But, but, and so when you compare it to some of the other stuff that's going on in college basketball, like at Florida State, for instance, you have a player who is accused of, of abusing his pregnant girlfriend, a player who is alleged to have been involved in an armed robbery, a player who has been accused of sexual assault. Um, God, this stuff, you know, sort of seems uh, uh, small, relatively speaking. And yet the obvious difference there is Tom Crean is coming off a bad season and probably headed for one. And Jimbo Fisher hasn't lost a football game since 2012. I mean, that ultimately, and sure. I, think, I mentioned this to yes, somebody mm-hmm. yesterday. Once upon a time, I, I don't know if folks remember this, but Sharon Collins was accused of exposing himself to a woman in an elevator. And the Morse twins were like shooting people with BB guns on campus, right? This all happened like right around each other, if my memory is correct. It might not be, but I remember these, these things definitely happened. And it almost didn't matter because, like, Bill Self never loses. Like, Bill Self is awesome at coaching basketball. And he, he, like, you know, he just wins champion, Big 12 championship after Big 12 championship. I do genuinely believe that Tom Crean's in trouble right now. But for the most part, these things would be discounted and almost dismissed if he were coming off a of Final Four and headed for another. Sam, what do you think on that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, I don't really – taking the incidents individually, I don't really think that I have a problem with a lot of them outside of – obviously the terrible accident that happened with Devin Davis and Emmett Holt. Um, the biggest problem is he's just not winning. Right. Like you look at his record in the big 10, he's 40 and 68, I think uh, throughout his six years. And even if you take out the first two years where he had to kind of clean up Kelvin Sampson's mess, he's still a game under 500. Right. And that's not really acceptable at a uh, blue blood, blue blood school like Indiana. 
And coming into this season, they kind of have to have depressed expectations and everything. And this is coming off of years where they've had the 8th, 6th, and 17th recruiting classes in college basketball through or from 2012 to 2014. So there's not really a reason where why they should be expected to be a middling, middle-of-the-road Big Ten team this year. But they are, and it's just because their players aren't really developing. And it seems like they have kind of, like you mentioned in your column, GP, tuned out what Tom Crean is saying a little bit. So I think that's my biggest problem with what's going on in Indiana. So let's talk about that for a second because, okay, this, this, um, the, the incident involving one player, you know, uh, striking another with the car that happened over the weekend. And then on Monday, um, ESPN.com reported that, um, the, there, there were failed drug tests and for two players and they were going to be suspended to start the season. And so at that point, it's like, you know, I, I think context matters here. Greg Doyle, again, from the Indianapolis Star, had written after the weekend incident, hey, one more thing and Tom Crean's got to go. And then it seems very clear to me, somebody said, ooh, well, here's one more thing. Because I, um, once, you know, once I, I, you know, I report that, you know, these failed drug tests did happen and these players are going to be suspended, you know, I started making phone calls. Rather than just, you know, um, bang out 500 words of what's going on in Indiana. I like decided to like, you know what, I'm going to sit back for a minute and try to actually find out what's going on in Indiana. And uh, the first thing I found out, like literally the first thing I was told, I called, you know, one of the people I know who's close to that program, close to the players and who, you know, would talk to me honestly. And one of the first things I was told is, is man, hey, these drug tests happened months ago, like months ago. They had not announced them yet, but they were going to. And they were just going to announce them the same way Florida does Chris Walker, you know, violation of team rules and whatever. Somebody recognized now's the time to pile on Tom Crean. Somebody from the inside who had knowledge of these drug tests and they leaked them to ESPN. Like that's what happened here. So the first thing I found out is um, it seemed very clear that somebody decided once Greg Doyle wrote one more thing with Tom Crean's program and I'm writing that Tom Crean doesn't need to be the head coach at Indiana anymore. Well, then somebody said, hey, I know about one more thing. And so I'm going to leak it. That's what happened on Monday. Then I go ahead, Matt. Uh, I just uh, just a quick side note because I was thinking about this. Um, I, I, that's that's 100 percent true. Uh, I also find it crazy timing that you know Doyle did so much good work for us for so long, and uh, and he's gone to Indy Star. We wish him all the best. And this kind of just falls in his lap, and it's <laughs> kind of the perfect Doyle subject here. And he just got there, and something like this happens, and so now he puts the pressure on like i just wonder if we would be having the conversation as much as we're having it right now if doyle didn't jump start it that's all it was just like a random musing i had I, no I, I i think well like so i was talking to somebody last night after doyle's column after my column and they said hey so what do you think greg doyle really thinks tom crean should be fired because uh, matt i know you're on board you don't think tom crean should be fired right now and and let me be clear despite everything i've reported i do not think tom crean should be fired right now uh i think he should coach this season and then you look up at the end of it and see where you're at from a basketball perspective from a program perspective from a off the court issue perspective but the idea that 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 tom crean should be fired right now um i i just i you know reasonable minds can disagree i i, I happen to disagree with that yeah but i do think mm-hmm. like i know doyle well enough and i don't want to speak for him like um he, he can speak for himself but i think he he felt painted into a corner a little bit like he had <laughs> he had written i guess it was sunday if one more thing happens with tom Crean's program he's got to go it's a zero uh tolerance situation now and then you know 24 hours later hey here's one more thing and i i think you know, know, knowing how Doyle gets, like, really emotional in the moment, totally. I, I, I think he was like, all right, I said one more thing, and <laughs> God damn it, here's one more thing, and, and, and he's got to go, right? Um, and that's fine, but uh, again, I, I, I think that's how that ha- Somebody asked me, how does that happen? I think that's how that happened. Um, I would say I don't believe, I don't agree with that. Like, again, reasonable minds can disagree. I love Greg. Um, he's a friend and a colleague, but I, I don't agree that Tom Cruise should be fired right now. But... When I started making phone calls and asking a very simple question, so what happened? What's going on? What is the deal? Um, I was, it was described to me in great detail that there was a disconnect between Tom and his players. And it started actually in that 2012-13 season where they were ranked number one in the country, were number one seed, and then ended up getting bounced in the Sweet 16 by Syracuse. They were just so talented. And some of those guys, like Oladipo and Zeller, were so like, 
you know, uh, gung-ho for, quote, Indiana basketball, that they could almost overcome it and rally around each other. But I was told the younger guys at that point totally tuned out Tom, just totally tuned him out. And so then once Oladipo leaves and Zeller leaves, those younger guys are the guys. You know, it's Yogi Ferro and, and uh, Hunter Perea. And, and, you know, now if you look at the roster at this moment, no seniors, only two relevant juniors. Those two relevant juniors are two of the six players who have been involved in alcohol-related incidents. And the younger guys are just following their lead. I was told, quite simply, it's just a bunch of guys running around, no leaders, no winners. And so um, then I bounced all this off of another source. And I said, hey, let, 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 you know, again, this is all on Monday night. I'm just collecting information, planning to write on Tuesday morning. And honestly, I thought on Tuesday morning I might be able to get a former player on the record. So that was another reason to wait is that um, I thought I may be able to get a former player on the record who would probably who would put into words all this stuff I'm telling you from sources who were granted anonymity. And so um, I, I bounced it all off somebody else and they described a, a very similar scene. I don't want to say detail for detail, but everything I put, you know, I is this the case anytime you start reporting on something like this? You leave so much stuff out. You know, like the overwhelming majority of the details are left out. You just try to paint a picture. And so that's all I was doing with that column. So then I write the column, it gets all this attention and whatever. It was, you know, it, it, um, it, I think Indiana fans for the most part were on board with it. And then I get an email um, from a, a, a guy named Tyler Devitt, who I'd never heard of before. But he claims to be a student manager on the 2012-13 team. And um, it's a lengthy email detailing, hey, here's what happened with Remy Abel. Here's what happened with so-and-so. Here's what happened here. Tom Crean did this once upon a time. Uh, you, but, but the email started with, I was a manager on, that on the 2012-13 team. I can confirm the disconnect started then. And it just goes on from there, detail after detail after detail. First thing I do is, is um, I try to confirm who the guy is, that he's legitimate. I, I, I cross-reference his email address to see if it's legitimate. Um, I, um, look him up on Facebook. I Google his name. I find out that, um, that he actually is the person who had called the radio show the previous night and asked Tom Cream why I had a job. And, uh, and, 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 but here's the other thing I did because I, I, I and I, maybe I'm just talking to a very small percentage of, of readers out there right now, but there were some Indiana blogs that, that questioned how you could take this scorned manager, um, as a credible source. Um, independent of it, like, oh, how could you, who, how could you um, tie a story to this, to what this person says? And, and so, to that, I would say, first off, I tied the story to, to two totally independent sources. The story was the story before that person even contacted me. That person he only contacted me because of that story. Secondly, I literally took this email I got from Tyler Devitt, and I forwarded it to my primary source, my initial source, and I said, "Hey, do you know this person? Um, do you remember him?" Um, and, and read this stuff and like, is he exaggerating? Is he wrong? Whatever. And my source said, yes, I remember him actually said this as well. Kid was kind of crazy, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but said, um, everything he said is true. Every single thing he said. And like, I haven't even shared this stuff with you guys and I'm not going to get into it here, but like details on why every single transfer transfer. Like, you know, here's what happened yeah. there. Here's what happened here. And I just didn't feel like getting into that because I felt like if I got into it too much, then suddenly Remy Abel would pop up on Twitter saying that's not true. And it just was all unnecessary to the, to the picture I was trying to paint. But my point is I didn't just take the person at, 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 at face value. I actually bounced every single thing. Let's say he said 40 things. I bounced those 40 things off of an independent source that, that was my primary source, and my primary source literally said every single part of that is true. And out of those 40 things, I bet I used three. Okay, so so that's that. And then the other thing I would say, and actually, Norlander, Sam, I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this from a journalistic perspective. I get a lot of, of fans now over the past, I don't know, 10 hours or whatever, since or maybe you know 20, that are saying, hey, this former manager clearly had an axe to grind. Okay, like he called into the radio show. He's pissed off at Tom Cream for whatever reason. He hates Tom Cream for whatever reason. And he has an axe to grind. So how could you let him grind his axe, you know, at CBS Sports? And to that, I would say almost anybody with, with this person's past who would be willing to talk to me on the record about the things he talked to me about, almost by definition has an axe to grind. Right. I never concern myself with whether they, what, what anybody's motives are. I just want to know if, if what they're saying is true. Like when one, in another life, it feels like 
Um, I, I handled a big recruiting scandal that involved uh, an Alabama football player and an Alabama booster and a Memphis high school coach. And my primary source on that, my initial source was a man named Milton Kirk. And he was the assistant coach at this high school where the head coach essentially sold the prospect, Albert Means, who was the number one defensive line prospect in the country at the time, uh, to an Alabama booster for $150,000. He, The head coach got the $150,000. The assistant coach was very much involved in the details. The initial plan was for them to split the money. All right? The head coach never gave the assistant coach any money. So his he had an axe to grind. His motives were, F this guy. Like, he, he screwed me out of 75 grand. Didn't give me what he promised me to get. To, didn't give me what he promised. And so, yeah, Gary Parrish, I'll talk to you about this. Let's do this story. Clear. And so I got a bunch of pushback from Alabama fans and all sorts. This guy has an axe to grind. He's actually like friends with a Tennessee booster. And the Tennessee booster um, convinced him to come forward. And that's how... First off, none of that was true because I mean he was friends with the Tennessee Booster, but no, Milton Kirk didn't come to me. I I found Milton Kirk. Nobody told me to go talk to Milton Kirk. I just sort of did that, and it was just sort of instincts when I started trying to work on this story. He seemed like an obvious person to talk to. But my point is this: um, he, you know, his motives were were not I want to expose some wrong in college football recruiting. His motives were I got screwed out of seventy five thousand dollars. He had an axe to grind, but guess what? I only cared if he was telling the truth. Was he telling the truth? And he was. And I would say on a much lower level, this is exactly the same thing. I don't doubt that Tyler Devitt has an axe to grind with Tom Creedy. So clearly does. But is what he's saying true? And I actually talked to somebody, you know, I'll just say around, connected to Indiana Athletics yesterday. I'll keep it that vague. And they were really like, hey, this kid's got an axe to grind. And I said, that's fine. I, I agree with you. He does. Otherwise, he wouldn't talk to me. But... Go go read what I actually attributed to him and tell me if any of it's true. And nobody could really tell me that any of it was un, was was untrue. And nobody could tell me that any of it was untrue. And so, uh, Norlander, I'll start with you. A- am I right here? Like, from an axe to grind perspective, I acknowledge it. Clearly, the kid's got an axe to grind. You don't call into a radio show to ask Tom Crean why he has a job if you don't have an axe to grind. But why should I be concerned if he has an axe to grind? I sh- in my opinion, I should only be concerned if what he's saying fundamentally is accurate and i believe wholeheartedly that it is yeah that's pretty much how the game goes here um it's presumed when you've got a situation like this whenever you've got someone that's willing to to spill dirt uh on a story about uh, a person or an organization uh you know 98 percent of the time usually they've been burned in some sort of way by that person or organization and so they want they want revenge it's not the journalist's job to really concern themselves too much with that angle of it so long as the information they're supplying you with can be verified by you know you know other sources basically and if you can do that and still tell the story in the proper context in a fair way that's really all that ultimately matters i can get why that's that's an easy thing for fans to is to attack the messenger in that kind of situation uh i get it um you know it's it's simple to understand why you would do that but it's not really of too much material to this to the story at hand and why we're going to pass along the fact of the matter is the situation Indiana is dealing with right now, and 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 Tom Crean has to deal, you know, with with certain instances of how he's handled the team, and now that we have firsthand accounts of why some of these things might have happened, and they can be verifiable, that is certainly relevant to the state of the program right now, and telling the story as it stands, as is. So no, I mean, there's no fault there. That's that's kind of what you expect whenever you're uh, chasing a story like. Yeah, and again, maybe I'm talking to a very small percentage of Indiana fans, but I did. Um, you know, there, there were some people on Twitter asking, how could you quote this kid? He has an axe to grind. Well, first off, he, he was very much inside that program, you know, in, at that time. And that that's really what he – you know, he didn't talk about what's going on with Yogi Ferrell right now. He didn't talk about what's going on with um, the, the, the players in last year's program. He wasn't around then. His initial point, the literally the first line of the email was, I was a manager on the 2012-13 team, basically said, um, hey – uh, Parrish, you mentioned that the disconnect started there. I can confirm the disconnect started there. Here's all of these stories. And um, so so he was a part of that. He was a part of that. That's why you quote him, because he was a part of that, like any manager is anywhere. And secondly, uh, because what he said, I believe, is true. Um, because it, 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 it jibed perfectly with what I had already been told. And 
and then I bounced every bit of it off of the sources that I already had. And so I didn't go. Like, again, if there was a list of 40 things that he told me in detail about, about players connected to that program at that time, I used two of them, three of them, maybe. And so um, uh, I, I don't know. I, did, I just felt compelled to, to – uh, I wasn't going to get in a back and forth on Twitter with somebody because that's just it, – it becomes – it's a bad You're look. trying to learn those lessons. I know. Yeah, yeah it's just a bad – it just becomes <laughs> – it just becomes bad for everybody. But um, I did feel like this is a good place to address it because you're not limited to 100. Well, real, real quick before we move off it. One, I know Sam is not a huge Korean guy just in terms of coaching ability, but – no. Overall, like, are we all in agreement here that we think Indiana's kind of on pace for a 15 to 18 win season? Yeah. And so, you know, come April, we're going to be in a situation where they're, they're in a coaching search because I think that's where we're headed. See, here's the thing. Like, I don't think they're any less talented than, say, in Iowa, who is ranked in the top 25. But all of this turmoil, everything that's happening, plus you take into account that Crean is, in my opinion, not a fantastic coach. Um I think that is where we're headed. I think we're headed for a very middling year, like a seven and eleven Big Ten record. Maybe they get to five hundred, and then I think he's going to end up getting fired. I think the twelve million dollar buyouts there, but I think that we're heading towards a situation where you're going to have to let him go. I, if I were get, if I were predicting, like you were asking for projection, that's what I would project as well. Um, and like you know, I. I'm not too interested in a debate about whether Tom Crean's a good coach, but this is true. I've pointed this out privately to people um, for a while, um, and I don't even know if it's a knock. I just know that it's 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 true. He's been to three Sweet Sixteens at 15 years as a head coach. All right, only three Sweet Sixteens in those 15 years, and and 15 years at prominent basketball program. It's not like 15 years and eight of them were at Southwest Missouri State or something. You know, 15 years at at, at nationally relevant basketball programs where they have, like, you know, they've won national championships at both of these places. He's gone to three Sweet 16s. One time he had Dwayne Wade. The other, time he, the other two times he had two top five picks. Out, unless he's had Dwayne Wade or two top five picks, he's never made it into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. That's a pretty damning statistic, isn't it? Yep. Totally agree. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just... Uh, yeah, like, I was. That's uh, that's actually a pretty eye-opening stat. I would not have uh, I would not have guessed he's he's batting essentially twenty percent on getting the Sweet Sixteens over the course of his career. Uh, yeah, that's that's certainly not good. And I mean, just it's it's so hard to foresee this Indiana team really taking a big step and improving from what they were last year. Um, yeah, and so like that, that's why you know, some people would ask me, well, like, hey, can he? You know, can he really get it together with this team and, you know, like surprise everybody? Um, maybe. I mean, I, somebody does every year. You know, why yeah, not? Yeah, every year we yeah. get a team for two. Yeah, yeah but, mm-hmm. but the truth is he doesn't – he's accomplished a lot and made a whole lot of money. And, and let's be clear. If you're a head coach at the Division One level for 15 years, high major level, you, you – almost by definition you're good at your job because you, don't, you wouldn't last that long otherwise. There's plenty of guys who are a high major coach for four years and then they're just back to irrelevance. He has been a high major coach for – well, what will now be 16 years. So that, by definition, makes you a successful head coach. But again, he's never really been the guy who breaks through and surprises you. Uh, he broke through one year when he had Dwayne Wade. He broke through another year when he had two top five picks. Outside of that, it has been NITs or missed postseasons or uh, go to the tournament and lose in the opening weekend. Again, that's not that's not a commentary on what Tom Crean is. That is just strictly quoting from the uh, from the from the Wikipedia page. Uh, uh, so uh, remember today's Ion College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace where you can easily create your own professional website or online uh, portfolio Squarespace is constantly improving its platform with new features new designs and even better support it's incredibly easy to use but if you want some help Squarespace has an amazing support team uh, that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just $8 a month to get started. It includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, uh, meaning your content's going to look great on every device every single time. So go ahead and launch a free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. Again, when you sign up uh, for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code FUN. You're going to get 10% off and it'll show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. That's offer code fun. That's Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, let's go into some news and notes presented by Squarespace. Um, 
Jalil Okafor, who is our preseason uh, player of the year, also Associated Press preseason national player of the year, um, was apparently uh, awesome and overwhelming in Duke's first exhibition. I've read some of the game stories, including the one from uh, our buddy Laura Keeley at uh, the Raleigh News and Observer. Observer. Um, do we feel any better about Okafor now? The, the reviews have not been dismissed or discounted at any point during this preseason. Blue and right scrimmage, I guess that's what they call it. Uh, he was dominant um, in the exhibition. He was dominant. We're still on board with Okafor, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll let Sam take this away because he was the one that was losing his mind over Cliff Alexander. I saw that the other night. We're going to talk about that in a minute. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, quick, quickly, with me on Okafor, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I'm gonna, I'm probably going to have to repeat this on the podcast plenty of times this year, but I, I just think that he is going to be ridiculously awesome and dominant in a low-post way that we just don't really see much in college basketball anymore, and that alone will be terrific. And if uh, Krzyzewski's been on record, I believe, in saying that he's going to help try and funnel the offense through him, you don't ever, almost ever see that with freshman big men. So if Krzyzewski, who knows a little bit about coaching and apparently uh, a lot about ISIS, if he's at uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get to that in a second, but if he's that if he's that confident in Okafor, then uh, then yeah, I think you know rightfully preseason player of the year AP. I guess only the third time ever, along with um, with Barnes and um, who am I blanking on, guys? Who was the other freshman preseason player of the year like was two years ago? Wiggins last year. Wiggins or oh, Wiggins? There we go. So only the third one ever, and uh, yeah. Um. Let's talk about the uh, elsewhere. Okay, so the, I did see you the other night, Sam, going wild about Cliff Alexander. You love Cliff Alexander. If you love him so much, why don't you marry him? That's my question. Well, uh, I don't know that. Um, is he is he eighteen yet? I'm not <laughs> of sure. course he is. Of course he is. <laughs> I wasn't sure if he was a young freshman. He, he is, seventeen. Listen, or not. he is in in certain states in this country. He is of legal age, and you are completely capable of marrying him if, if you'll agree. Yeah, I mean, no, Cliff Alexander is. I think he's going to be fantastic this year. I know there's been some Bill Self's been on record saying like he's not sure he's ready offensively yet. Here's the thing: you don't really need him to be full on ready offensively. He's going to affect the game just through his sheer work level on the boards. He's going to offensive rebound against almost anyone in America. He's going to be able to dunk on. He's going to have so many ridiculous dunks this year on people that I can't even begin to describe my excitement. Like he is going to be, I think, great. Even if he's only averaging like a twelve and eight in, I don't know, twenty five minutes a game. This uh, this unbelievable rebounding machine. You're only giving him eight rebounds a game. I mean, it's lim- he might not play right. thirty thirty three minutes a game. You know, he might only play twenty five minutes a game, given the way that Bill Self's talking about him early in the year. I mean, I don't think he's going to start immediately. I think he's going to start by the time the Big 12 schedule rolls around, but I don't think he's going to start immediately because Bill Self wants to work him in slowly. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much all, all aboard the Cliff Alexander train. You know, I got, you know, when I did the top 25 and one, um, I did project a starting lineup for every team uh, with the help from, from you guys and help from John Rothstein and, and honestly help from college coaches. You know, I reached out to most of these staffs to say, hey, okay, I got to put this down. What should I put down? And Kansas fans were, they took great offense to the idea that I didn't have Kelly Oubre in uh, the starting lineup. And that I mentioned, I think I mentioned this on Twitter to one, you know, crazy person. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, because the guy was like, you're an idiot. Kelly's going to start right from the beginning. And I'm like, dude, like, I, I'm not trying to give away sources. I don't think this is a big deal. Like, that came right from the Kansas staff. You know, it's not, it's not like I was evaluating Kansas' practices from a distance. <laughs> it, it, it came straight from the Kansas staff. That Kelly, that... Uh, that Frank Mason's going to start uh, alongside, at, the, at least at the beginning, uh, with Devontae Graham and uh, uh, Frank Mason, Wayne Selden, um, yes, Perry Ellis, and Cliff Alexander will start. But one of the other things that I was told is that it's not set in stone that Cliff Alexander is going to be the starting big at Kansas right from the beginning. Clearly the most talented big, um, clearly the best pro prospect. Probably will be starting at some point. In fact, might probably might start right from the start of the season. But um, I guess my my larger point was that he hasn't been whatever Okafor's. However, he's been blowing away people at Duke. Alexander hasn't been doing that in Kansas workouts. Although I I agree with Sam fundamentally, um, just because he's a physical specimen with a really good motor, he's going to be overwhelming at the college basketball level. To the extent I worry about him at all, it's at the NBA level because. I don't know what they're listing him at. Uh, he, yeah. he ain't that tall, you know? Right. Like, no, he's know. he's a 6'9 in shoes. Okay, right. So according to Draft Express, so yeah. He's a, he's they a, measured him. Okay, so he's a 6'9 center. And, you know, there ain't many of them. Dwight Howard 
is not as tall as people realize as people think. Uh, like mm-hmm. I don't know what they list Dwight Howard in, but uh, as but I bet he's six nine, six ten. Like in you know, so like you can clearly, and Dwight Howard's one of the best you know centers in the league, if if not the best. But it, it's very hard to be a six nine center in the NBA. You better be special in some other way. So to the extent I'm worried about Cliff Alexander, it's not about being a six nine center in the Big Twelve, but being a six nine center in the in the NBA. Like I ain't I ain't I'm not I'm not completely convinced he's like a top ten pick one and done guy. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think he'd have to be a four. He, uh, though, though, Kansas will be fun. I mean, they've got a lot of talent. Um, Alexander is a beast. I mean, you know, we saw him in person last summer specifically, and uh, he was awesome to watch in person. I mean, he would just dominate some games, but dominating at the AAU level is not dominating at the D1 level. It's certainly not dominating at the highest level, so we'll be interested. But, uh, yeah, can we talk about Coach K bashing Obama <laughs> for, like, two minutes? Is that doable? Yeah, you know what? Like, uh, I'm not – This a, is the most – I mean, It this was is, just random, right? I, I, like, I'm not in any position to argue – with Mike Shashevsky about um, U.S. Army strategy, <laughs> right? So, uh, so like, whatever. Uh, but I did find it interesting that there he is, I guess, accepting some award and, and then uses it as a, um, as a stage to, uh, like, let's just say, like, blast Barack Obama on, his, um, on, on the way he has announced that there will be no boots on the ground um, as the United States um, tries to attack... Or, or discount or eliminate uh, yeah. ISIS. It's just a weird scene. That's all. And it, what's even weirder is it apparently happened a long time ago, right? It just came yeah, out well, yesterday. Yeah, all right. So the basic thing is this. So, you know, Krzyzewski obviously attended Army, played for Bobby Knight, late 60s. He served, like, he served for five years in in the Army. And, uh, and on October 15th, he was accepting this award, uh, the George Catlett Marshall Medal. And basically, uh, it's awarded to someone who, you know, just has exemplary public service and has commitment to the highest American ideals. That's what the award stands for. Oh, whatever. God, so th- I'm surprised I hadn't won this by now. Uh, well, yeah, I think you're up <laughs> maybe in a couple of years. You might have to uh, be 40 to be eligible, but oh, I don't okay. know. Anyway, um, so this this all happened on October 15th. Like, we're, t- we're going on – it's actually three weeks to the day that we're recording this that he made these remarks. Video eventually surfaced, and he, yeah, he basically took issue with the fact that Obama was publicly – saying we will not put troops on the ground, you know, which is among the the hottest debate topics in just um, general American discourse is we really don't need to go to war again and put more of our own 18, 19, 20, 22-year-olds' lives in danger by sending them to the Middle East and fighting on the ground again. Uh, this is like really, you know, one of the all-time debates. And here's Krzyzewski saying, you know, that's an insult. You guys, you know, we don't play home games because you guys basically go and and fight and die for us. And I don't agree with Obama's. And then he goes and he compares it to saying that he'll not play LeBron and Kobe (laughs) against Spain. I mean, and listen, it was an impassioned speech. I get it. Um, But it's just one of the more random things that he's. And it's like Shishesky. I I don't know. It was uh, it was one of the more bizarre stories i think i've ever had to blog about just because you just never have you never have this you never have a college basketball coach speaking out on foreign affairs it was uh but i, I think it kind of speaks to where shashevsky is in his life and his stature and and whatever and by the way i did mention in the post guys that you know back in 09 obama does his bracket every year right. he didn't put he didn't put duke in it and so shashevsky is actually He's kind of blasted Obama in the past. He basically said, well, you know, maybe he should worry more about uh, running Washington than picking basketball games. So I don't know. I don't know what uh, Coach K's deal is here, but um, I'm just waiting for Obama to basically come back with a blast against, uh, you know, why you didn't beat Lehigh or Mercer. That's my deal. Yeah, well, it's, you know, <laughs> I always think that's a lazy comment. Like, you know, uh, uh, the president should be worrying about running the country as opposed to playing golf or, you know, or uh, running the country. You know, uh, shouldn't a basketball coach be more concerned about making sure his team doesn't lose to uh, – who did they lose to in the first round last? Mercer? Mercer, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, like, yeah, that's the very uh, comparable comeback. Like, hey, why don't you worry about your basketball team that got bounced on the first round last year as opposed to, you know, how we should battle ISIS. So – um, I don't know. It's it's Shashevsky's it, the only one who could who could go down this path and and not sound totally ridiculous. Although it is an odd thing to bring up, but <laughs> but maybe not an odd thing to bring up in that setting. Uh, I will say this: um, 
And I was at ACC Media Day last Wednesday, and though he is, and I actually, you know, I was, I taught, I asked him about this. Like he is in many ways the face of the ACC. Like I know there's a bunch of faces of the ACC, and uh, historically speaking, you could call Bobby Bowden one of them or or whatever. But like Mike, you think ACC? You think Mike Shashevsky, right? I mean, I'm not stretching that, am I? Like he's he's a um, he's not the commissioner, but he's a he is a a big presence in that league. And you know when he was given the opportunity last year to sort of address the Syracuse situation and the North Carolina situation, he he, right. he almost just punted. You know, just punted on the whole deal. I would say he. You were there. I wasn't, but I I saw the quotes and we talked about it. I would say he absolutely punted. He straight up cut off someone's question and said, "I'm not going to talk about that." Yeah, well, that was after I brought it up first, and he wasn't he wasn't um, dismissive quite to that extreme, but he was very short. I mean, this is a guy who somebody would say, so, um, you know, and it was like, this is, this is why I don't go to media days, because the overwhelming majority of the people there, like, genuinely want to talk to you about Rashid Suleiman's role. Like, I, I just couldn't care less about any of that shit. And so um, we're all sitting there, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, all right, let's talk to Mike Krzyzewski about North Carolina and Syracuse. Like, that, that's what I'm here to do. And, uh, you know, it's somebody's like, so, uh, Coach, can you talk about the development of Matt Jones? And it's like, oh, and he, but my point is this. He, he talked for eight minutes about the development of Matt Jones. And then you'd ask him, you know, can you talk about the 30-second shot clock? And he'd talk about the 30-second shot clock for 20 minutes. And then it'd be like, uh, can you talk about – the role USA basketball plays in the development of young people. You talk about that for, you know, another nine minutes. And then I say, hey, you know, uh, Mike, it's, um, you know, there's, you are very much a prominent figure in this league. You're sort of the face of the ACC in many ways. And right now your league should be, you know, we should be talking about the National Player of the Year coming from this league, number one draft pick coming from this league, top-ranked football program coming from this league, and yet we're talking about Syracuse and North Carolina. I'm just curious your thoughts. And he just, like, was – you know, I, I'm just, you know, everybody goes through things. We're going through things now, and then we'll move on. It's just like such a, I, you know, I, I don't know. It was um, disappointing. I'll just leave it at that. It someone, was, yeah, someone. Someone who, 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 someone who literally labels himself a leader. That's, well, that's what I'm getting. Someone, I don't remember who tweeted it, but someone basically 40. said, Mike Krzyzewski, author of two or three leadership books, refuses to comment on Syracuse and North Carolina situation. I just thought it was, um, it was, di- you know, I, I was about to say something else. I'll just leave it. I, I thought it was disappointing. Like, man, hey, you, you, you are, you're Mike Krzyzewski. You are, if not the most prominent voice in college athletics, certainly one of them. And maybe one of the most important figures in basketball, period, at any level. And, 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 and maybe the best to ever do it. And, and yet, this is going on. It's, it's at least indirectly connected to what you do. And you're, you're not going to – you're just going to not talk about it. Like I, I just thought that it was just disappointing. From a guy who, who labels himself a leader, I, I expected more. And I, I don't think it's crazy to expect that. Norlander, last night you had a column um, basically saying, hey, listen, thank God the college basketball committee doesn't do what the college football playoff committee is doing right now. And um, I completely agree with the premise. The idea that they are releasing a top 25 every week in, in some – you know, live televised show. It's just uh, asinine. Yeah, I mean, if your goal is to, at the end of the year, pick a 14 playoff and then fill in the other, you know, primary bowls, then there, there's a way to do it. This ain't, this ain't the way, the right way to do it. Isn't it as simple as um, they get a, a, a television show every week that's going to draw millions of views or rate high and, and generate tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars? I mean, isn't that ultimately what this is about? Yeah, well, I'm surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised, but uh, you know, you and I healthily uh, disagree on a few things. I, I didn't know if you would agree with the uh, with the premise of that, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, and I didn't want to, I guess, bog down my own column by getting into it, but obviously, there is a television money generating aspect to the fact that these rankings get released in college football on a weekly basis, and money is clearly to be made there, um, and that's guy. It's kind of a separate issue from what I'm I'm discussing in the column, but overall, I, I mean it's it's ridiculous when you've got committee members talking about how they're going to be breaking down tape of, of Georgia Tech, <laughs> like when they're and and on the record, Jeff Long, the chairman, has basically said we spent the most time on teams 21 through 25 this past week. So stupid. Like that's that is unreal, like a massive, Incredible. unbelievable waste of time. It's just to me, it's it's empty dialogue, it's empty debate. It actually is. It, I personally love the 
the chase and the mystery leading up to Selection Sunday, like that day truly still means a ton. Like, uh, you know, Parrish and I and Sam, you'll, you'll soon be a part of like just to, to experience that day. And it's like it, it's fun, but it's hell because there's just so much happening. It's really one of the wildest days, most anticipated days on the sports calendar. And for those that have argued that college basketball should look to even as early or late as February to start releasing maybe the top four seeds in each region. Well, no, that that's dumb. And honestly, the, the committee probably shouldn't even be wasting its time by doing this. You know, as it is, they get together for about 10 days before the bracket reveal, and it's basically all they do. And for the most part, they do a pretty good job. I feel like they don't need to be convening and debating for two months prior to the release of what is unquestionably a much tougher endeavor like it's it's you know that we're talking about four teams in a first two out and i know you're ranking the top 25 but let's be real here anyone beyond the 10th team i mean it's it's kind of obvious within win-loss record and who they've beaten when you're talking about 68 teams where they should be seated who gets in you know number one overall seed that stuff that's a lot more detailed and with football you've got 10 or 11, 12 games tops. So the games themselves inherently take on so much more weight on a week-to-week basis, and we've already got so much knee-jerk as it is that, I mean, we're going to see instances where a team loses a game, and they might be 6th and drop to 15th because they lost one game. Maybe that's legitimate, maybe it's not, but I just I don't want college basketball and its men's selection committee and the powers that be see what might be happening here with college football and how there might be some dialogue and say, you know what, we might need to trial run this. Let's not water down the season anymore and take away more of the meaning of Selection Sunday and how big that day is from what it is. I don't know. Sam? Yeah, I don't think think anything they could do would take away from Selection Sunday because that's when the cemented bracket is released. But but it's just – it's just – unnecessary work. I mean, that like some of these guys like Jeff Long, like literally has to run a, an athletic yeah. department. Like what do you, <laughs> what do you do in your real job? If you're watching Iowa versus Minnesota, like an idiot, like, like if I had $500 on Iowa, Minnesota, I wouldn't even watch it. Like, so what are you, what are you doing? And, and so I don't think it, it necessarily takes, it's just completely unnecessary work. You could, you could tell these guys to, to do whatever they do all year long and then get them together in the last week of the season for three days, and they could put together the same list they're going to put together, you know, three days, you know, over a three-day span at the end of the regular season. Doing this every week is it is it is ridiculous and unnecessary. And maybe this is an apples to oranges thing, but um, I, I realized this a long time ago. I, I host a radio show every afternoon. Two-hour show starts at four o'clock. And I used to like, I'd start thinking about it the night before and I'd get up in the morning and I'd start, you know, trying to plan. What I found is that now I don't even look at it until noon. And the reason is this, what I found is if I start looking at it at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and I start going, okay, here's what I'm going to do opening segment. Here's what I'm going to do. Ultimately, like shit happens and like, and you end up changing anyway. And so what you, if you spend an hour at eight o'clock trying to prepare for a show that doesn't start till four, uh, the things, not all the time, but sometimes things are going to change to the to the extent that by the time you get to four, you, the stuff you had planned at eight o'clock in the morning is totally irrelevant now. And yeah. so this is this is very similar, except more so because in my case, there is a scenario where I could plan a show at eight o'clock and it would still be the exact same show I'd want to do at four o'clock. But there is no um, college football playoff you could put together on November fourth. That's going to be what you need it to be on December 4th and or even on November 14th. And so it's, it's all mindless and dumb. And it's un- just a waste of energy. It's I mean, a, it really only, is. And they open yeah. themselves up here to situations where, all right, let's look at week two compared to week six. And this team is here and this team is here. And you said it was based off this criteria. Well, what changed? Like, I, 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 again, I get why they're doing it because it's a television show That's and it. people will react to it. But I also did note in the column that the week number two reaction from my vantage point was significantly died down from the week number one. Um, yeah. and maybe that will change in week number three, but to me, the, the returns were greatly diminished. So, so ultimately, you know, yeah, you're making TV bucks for ESPN off of this. I get that, but you're really wasting a lot of time too for people that have frankly, extremely important jobs. Right. And Sam, let me ask you about this. So uh, another aspect, yeah. in Orlando, you just touched on it. You, you made in the column is, um, um, you were pleased to see that people weren't up in arms about this last night as much as they were in the in, you know last Tuesday night, which was the the initial college football playoff rankings. 
Um, and, and sort of you say, hey, that's a good thing because this is all meaningless and, and you shouldn't care about it at all. Um, I, I, listen, I, I think that's undeniably true um, at its core. But but Sam, uh, you know, I, I'm a guy who ranks basketball teams every day. And by, <laughs> I knew you were going no, there. No, 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 listen, listen, here's what I'm saying. By definition, none of, the, none of it matters. But I think that there's um, a core belief among hardcore fans that they just want their credit whenever people are are – assigning credit you know like whenever people are saying hey here's who i think should be one and here's who i think should be four and here's who i think should be nine it doesn't matter if it is irrelevant to the final conversation we're going to have anytime people are you know ranking things hardcore fans want them to be ranked in a way that that pleases them and so um, whether we find it college basketball polls during the season or these college football playoff rankings that will ultimately mean tons but mean nothing right now uh, fans are still wired to, you know, that's stupid. We should be third, not six. I mean, fans are just wired that way and sort of exp- uh, trying to explain to them why they shouldn't care it almost seems um, like a, 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 a challenge way too steep. Yeah, Florida State fans will legitimately yell at you for just not <laughs> talking about the Knowles. Right. Like, they just want their recognition now. And it's like that with a lot of programs. But here's my thing. You already have that with the coaches poll. You already have that with the Associated Press poll. There's not reasons for, like Norlander said, for this committee who all have, you know, pretty powerful jobs to just basically repurpose those rankings into a television show that will make millions upon millions of dollars for ESPN. Like, it's not like these programs can go out and change their schedules. Like, Baylor can't go out and schedule someone like Ohio State into their non-conference schedule right now so that they can improve what the committee is penalizing them for. Like, I just don't, I'm with Norlander. I don't really see a purpose for these people to waste their times with it. Yeah, there is no purpose other than um, it, it, it creates a television show that makes millions of dollars. And you know what? If somebody would just stand up and say, hey, listen, we are making Millions of dollars. <laughs> like, I, I can't argue with that. I like making millions of dollars. And so... Um, no, I, I get it from that standpoint. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah, denying yeah. that in any sort of way. It's but, just... And as someone yeah. that used to work in TV ratings, like, hey, I totally understand that. Like, right. I understand it's going to be a huge rated show. It's... As right. far as the actual purpose of it, it's no, very, I think, very yeah. diminished. I think we all agree there. There's no purpose to it. It is a huge waste of time, but they are generating millions of dollars for a network. And if that's the goal, that's not the stated goal, but that's the unstated goal. And right. and, and I, you know, I, I completely understand why you'd want to do that. Okay, well, listen, we kept you long enough, as always. Uh, thanks to Matt Norlander. Sam, thanks for being here. You'll be back next week. And I really do appreciate everybody listening. Um, and being here at CBSSports.com, uh, reading what we write, watching our videos, interacting on Twitter, at least most times interacting on Twitter. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. That's on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. So make sure to do that. It's free and free things are good things. I appreciate you listening again. Uh, We'll talk to you again next week. Take care.